All right, my friends, before we get into today's Live Inspired podcast, something cool that is happening more frequently going forward is that as I prepare to share my story on stages, I'm not known to that audience as a speaker, and I'm not known usually to that audience as an author. Instead, a whole lot of the ladies and gentlemen in the room are already following me and our work through the Live Inspired podcast. They're listening, in other words, to this voice right now through their own channels. Very cool. We've had more than a million downloads, as you know. It's a top 20 iTunes show, as you may know, which is very cool. But it also means that a whole lot of ladies and gentlemen are unaware of my number one national best-selling book. It's where I encapsulate in so many regards, the best of our story. It's called On Fire. It's a worthy read. It's been celebrated by Brene Brown and Dave Ramsey, Joe Buck, a whole lot of other luminaries who have talked about the impact of this book and their lives. It also has received more than 1,500 five-star reviews online that has very little to do with this guy's voice or the man who wrote it and everything to do with the reader with the impact in the reader's life and ultimately what it does for us professionally, what it does for us relationally, spiritually, relationally, and in every aspect of our life that actually matters. It's called On Fire. It is available. But rather than sending you to your nearby bookstore today, what I'm encouraging you to do right now is to let your fingers do the walk and come on over to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. This is a gift. I want you to be able to check out the first two chapters of On Fire. So come on over to visit me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. And if you want to share this story, share this book with your friends, with your family, with your clients or contacts this holiday season, awesome. I think with all the divisions going on around us in our community, with all the reasons for fear and trepidation and anxiety and and nervousness looking forward, why not share a message about love and hope and faith and possibility and the truth that the best is yet to come? You can learn more at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. All right, my friends, welcome to Live Inspired Podcast, this one with John O'Leary. Rich Donnelly spent almost three decades as a major league coach, but he paid a heavy price to get there. Donnelly put baseball ahead of everything in his life, ahead of his marriage, ahead of his children, ahead of his faith. He put it in front of everything. His passion, his life was all around his professional journey. His wife divorced him. Things were falling apart with his kids. And then the news come that his daughter, his only daughter, Amy, that she's got a diagnosis that's going to change the entire family's life. And I think it's going to change the life of those of you listening to this podcast today. Rich recently was part of a book called The Chicken Runs at Midnight. It's a daughter's message from heaven that changed a father's heart and won a World Series. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible story about a father, about love, about baseball, about regrets, about sorrow, about redemption, and about the truth that in spite of what we go through, the best is in front of us. 
Well, the leader, the main character within this book is with us on this podcast. His name, like I have said, is Rich Donnelly. He's a guy that I have looked up to for a long time, and we are so excited to bring him and his story to you today, my friends. So buckle up. I invite you to open up your hearts, open up your minds, grab your journals, grab a pen. You'll need to take some notes today for this one because I get to bring you Coach, Coach Rich Donnelly. Uh, Coach, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, thank you for having me. Man, it really is an honor to have you on. I read your book, was deeply moved by it, and uh, I thought I knew your story. And I realized after ending the book how little of it I knew. So it's a powerful book. Why did you write the book? Well, uh, uh, the incident with my daughter happened about 23 years ago, and uh, we sort of kept it quiet because we didn't think anybody outside our family would be interested in it uh, because, because we thought, oh, they won't believe this one. Uh, because it was a miracle story. And I did a couple articles through the years with different teams I was on. And a friend of mine, uh, Tom Brown, wrote an article. And mm-hmm. another friend of mine, of his, Tom Friend, who's the author of our book, he said, Rich, have you ever well, – well, first of all, he put a piece on ESPN that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Jim Leland doing the voiceover. And, and he said, Rich, this is a great story. Have you ever – thought about writing a book and I or writing a book. And I said, well, not really. I, I haven't even read many books, let alone written one. And he said, Rich, your story is unbelievable. Your life is unbelievable. What you've been through. I think he said, you've touched every part of the human, yeah. human element that you could touch uh, up, down, over and up, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And he says, Rich, this got to be a book. Would you like to do it? And I said, what do I have to do? He said, take the phone, lay it on your chest. I'll call you at one o'clock every day. And from one to four, I'll ask you questions about your life growing up. And you just tell me. And basically, that's what he did. And the book is unbelievable. I I find myself, John, reading it now. I've I've read it 10 times (laughs) to to try to remember exactly what happened 20-some years ago. And basically... How, how stupid I was, how selfish I was during my time uh, in those years when I got what I call out of the baseline yes. as, in, in, in life and what I needed, and which is documented in the book to get me back into the baseline. Well, you, you did a phenomenal job sharing how you ran in and out of the baseline, how lost you got, how you were uh, rediscovered, and how you rediscover what actually matters. And uh, you started at the beginning. It, it, it starts up in Ohio. You grew up uh, in Ohio, kid. Is that correct? Correct. In Steubenville, Ohio, home of Dean Martin and Jimmy the Greek. And uh, uh, Tom thought my, my childhood was kind of fascinating. It is. He says, uh, he says, what other mother tied their kid to a pole while they're ironing so they wouldn't run out into the street naked? Yes. And I said, my mom. <laughs> my, my mom did that. And then on the other side, my dad was very, I don't say he was abusive. He was very tough. Uh, I didn't think it was abuse uh, when, when I got whipped for, for being bad or, or for striking out when I was eight years old in a little league game. But uh, uh, ups and downs, I, I, I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything. And my whole goal in life, and I meant really my goal at five years old, was to be in the big leagues, of course, as a player. And then when I realized later that 
I got to AAA and got as far as I could get. Then my next goal was to be there as a coach. And uh, I think I went back to my eight-year-old mental state that nothing was going to stop me from getting there. And unfortunately, that included my my family right. and my wife. Well, and you wrote a lot about the foundation of your life and growing up and being tied to that pole and and the uh, the abuse. I mean, I think that's what it is that your dad did deliver. He may have said he did it out of love, but it really was, in some regards, a challenging upbringing. But you grew up with a lot of love also around you, and you grew up with a very strong faith. Why were you such a faith-filled little guy? My mom was a very big Christian. My sister, uh, the women in my life were tremendous. I loved them. And, uh, my, they say I'm, I'm more, I was more like my mom. I get my, my mental toughness from her. I get my, my, uh, I call it a motor. You got to have a motor yeah. to be a successful person. And my mom had the motor and I think she passed that along to me. You, uh, you also not only have a passion for your faith and your family and just growing up a kid, but you have a passion, man, a, a rabid passion for baseball. What was it about baseball you love so much? I just liked it. The teamwork, the camaraderie. I was always a catcher ever since. I mean, my brother was a minor league player, 14 years older than me. He passed away at age 28 of Hodgkin's disease. And his whole life while he was here was to get me to be in the big leagues. He took me, showed me everything, made me a catcher. And going behind the plate, uh, I tell in the book there were two things that I was absolutely fascinated with. And I don't know why. Catching a ball game and being on the altar serving a mass. Mm. Those two things, This I love both of them. So I'm, I'm just going to speed up the tape a little bit. You, you've had a nice playing career. You're now a coach. You're married. You have four kids. I believe you have three boys and a daughter. Uh, give us a sense for what the life of a busy coach is like at home. So what, what, well, what's that life like well, at home? Well, I know I, I went to work at 12 o'clock noon every day, and I got home at 2 o'clock in the morning every night. So you're you're out there 14 hours, not necessarily working 14 hours, but you're just out there. And in the big leagues, uh, there's a big demand. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to win or you won't have a job. So I put my heart and soul into it. I became a third base coach. I wanted to be the best third base coach that there ever was. I worked on it. I studied others like Tim Flannery, Gene Lamont, of course, my boss, Jim Leland. I wanted to know everything about it. I studied it. I took pride in it. And I, and, and, and being in the big leagues, that's where I wanted to be. And I finally got there. And then I always wanted, uh, I think I wrote in high school, I wrote a, I said, I want to be married. I want a three bedroom house and have three or four kids and a beautiful wife. Well, I had it all. And then I, uh, I could say I threw it all away. Because getting to that goal, I would do anything I, I had to do, even out of character, to to get that and keep that job. Mm -hmm. Did you know that your, your home life was slipping, or was it uh, so gradual that yeah. you woke up one day and it was just gone? No. I, I, it's, like, it's like you're eating candy. You know, like you're not supposed to eat candy. And you're eating candy, and, you're in, and, and you say, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to eat this, but I'm going to eat it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not supposed to eat red meat, and I order steak every night. I knew what I was doing. I knew it was wrong, but the allure of not being in the big leagues was stronger than the lure of not doing what I was supposed to do. So I knew exactly what I was doing. And I was, I just, like I say, I was so far gone 
that I was accepting wrong as right. Well, a phone call in February of 92 begins to change all of that. Yes, we just played a spring training game in Pittsburgh. I mean, in Bradenton, Florida. I go home, I'm laying on a couch, and the phone rings, and it's my daughter, Amy. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Good. She says, Dad, I have something I have to tell you. I have a brain tumor, and I'm sorry. And the first thing I thought of, John, was she's apologizing to me for getting the brain tumor, knowing that it would knock me off of get of, of my goal, knock me off of my work. She was more concerned that this would bother me instead of, geez, my daughter has a brain tumor, and this is really bad. Rich, was, and, that, was that just her character? Was she always focused on others and how her yes, life would influence she, someone else? She, she was amazing, and like I, I talk about in the book, she uh, was on this earth for 17 years, and that last year, for the last nine months, she knew she was going to die at 17. And it was like an angel. It was like, in fact, in the book, my, my second wife, Roberta, and, and Roberta is not, uh, she's not, you know, she doesn't make things up. She doesn't exaggerate. She's down to earth, very, very great Christian woman. She teaches Bible. She not teaches it. She interprets it and teaches it to pastors. But anyway, she said one night, Amy came out of our bedroom and she says, oh, my Lord. And she went to my other two daughters, Leanne and Tiffany. She goes, I just saw an angel come out of that room tonight. There was a glow about her. And I truly believe, I truly, this sounds crazy, I know, but I truly believe she was put on earth to affect so many people. She's going to die in nine months. She's 17 in the prime of her life. And the only thing she's concerned about was the effect it was going to have, especially on her dad, Mm. but on everybody else in the family and her friends. Well, she had a profound effect. And we're going to talk about that as we progress through our conversation. But on a, I believe it's a car ride. She leans over the middle seat and she's curious, what is it that you're actually doing at third base when you're yelling out there yeah. at, at the players? So to take us back to that moment. It was the fifth game of the 92 playoffs that we had flown her up. Jim Leland flew her and friend Cindy and her brother, Tim up to the playoff game against the Braves. And she sat in the stands and she was G this was in between her bouts of chemo. Uh, she came up, she had her, you know, black and gold pom-poms and having a heck of a time. And after the game, we're driving back to the hotel and she puts her arms around my neck like she always does and gives me a hug. She says, Dad, when you coach in third and you get down that crouch and cup your hands, what are you telling those guys? The chicken runs at midnight or what? And I went, what is that? And our whole family, Bubba, her brother, Tim, Cindy, we're laughing like, what is this? The chicken runs at midnight. What does that mean? Yes. She says, I don't know. It just came out. So that became our family motto all during her her summer there with chemo. And then, of course, um, when she passed away, of course, we put it on her on her tombstone. And then that was only the beginning of the story, of course. So you, you lose your daughter. And uh, before we fast forward a little bit into uh, a second half of that story that, that pulls it all full circle, it's, just, it's, it's an amazing, amazing uh, set of circumstances. Your daughter, her, her life doesn't end when she dies in, some regard, in all regards, but there's a story in particular that just jumped off the pages and really it brought me to tears, to be matter of fact, with you. You are dealing with the loss in hospital and um, a nurse comes and says, you know, she's got some belongings in her room. I think you should go clear them out. So you go back into the room where she'd been treated and uh, you find a letter that is guided towards you 
take us back yeah. to that letter, what it said and what it meant. Yeah, after Emmy passed away, uh, the nurse says, Rich, you can go back to the room and clean out her belongings and all that. And, and there's a desk there, and I think there's something in there for you. So I go back and take the clothes out, of course, and it was very tough. And I open up the drawer, and I see an uh, envelope that says, Dad. And, something, uh, and there was a, a note in there, so I opened up the note, and there was a check also for about, four, I think it was $400. And she says, Dad, dear Dad, she says, you know, when the kids go in that red wagon, there's 17 other terminally ill kids in, in her unit in Dallas Children's Hospital. She says, you know that red wagon where they take all the kids down to the edge of the hospital so they can look out over the skyline of Dallas? That's her big thrill of the day. And that some kids have to wait in line for the other wagon to get back. She goes, take this money and go buy each one of those kids their own red wagon so they won't have to wait for their big thrill of the day. Here she is, hours away from dying. <laughs> She's more worried that the kids who go in this wagon will have to wait a half hour for the wagon to come back. She wants to make sure every kid has their own wagon. She was the oldest one in that unit. She was like the, the mm -hmm. mother, just like she was when she would watch the pirate kids in the green room up at uh, three river stadium. Mm. So that, that wagon story and her last request on earth uh, blew me away. And as you know, Rich, when I was a little boy myself, I spent a little bit of time in a hospital and, in yeah. the Burns Center here in St. Louis, Missouri, there was one red wagon, and it would be what we were dragged around in on the good days. Sure. And so uh, most of the time right. you're on a gurney or you're in a wheelchair, but when you really hit the jackpot, you got to go in a, a little red wagon. And so yeah. to imagine her her last request for you to purchase these for other kids in Dallas, man, I just – she wanted to be a teacher. You're right. Uh, and although she never – lived into that in the professional sense. It seems to me that she has <laughs> lived into it in ways that she could have never had she uh, only been a professional teacher. She's, she's continuing to teach even after her death. Well, I tell people all the time, she, she didn't get to teach in the, what we know as a teacher in the world, but she was the greatest teacher I've ever had. She, she showed me how to live. And in her last nine months, she showed me how to die. Well, let's, let's talk uh, less about your death because we're not there yet. We're going to talk more about your life and the impact that it has had on others. In, uh, I believe it's four years later in 97, you find yourself out of Pittsburgh in Miami. You're with the Marlins. You're still with Jim Leland. And uh, amazingly, your new team goes to the World Series and it makes it all the way to Game 7. You're, you're favored to lose, but you made it to Game 7. And I'll let you take it forward from there. Well, actually, I'm going to back it up just a, a couple months. Uh, we're in July. We needed a second baseman. Our second baseman wasn't really playing well. So Jim said to Dave Dombrowski, please go and find me a second baseman who can just catch the ball. So we make a trade for uh, a second baseman from the Rockies named Craig Council. And mm. Craig came in. And because of his odd batting stance, in fact, as a picture of it in the book, he he holds his arms real high and he flaps his left arm like a chicken. So Kim and Mike, my sons, were the bat boys, and they named him the chicken all year. As soon as he came in, they goes, Daddy, he hits like a chicken. When he runs, he wobbles like a chicken. He's a chicken. So he became the chicken. And I didn't, you know, I'm not going to call him a chicken. I got too much respect 
but the kids all kidded. And sure enough, like you said, we get into the playoffs as the underdogs. We win the first two rounds against the Giants and Braves. Now we're playing the, uh, the Indians, and we're underdogs again. Here we go. We go the full seven games, the 11th inning of the seventh game, 68,000 screaming people in Miami, millions around the world. I'm standing, coaching third base. Craig Council gets to third base with the bases loaded and two outs. Charles Nagy, the pitcher. Edgar Renteria, the hitter. He throws, a, I think, an 0-1 curveball. Edgar hits it up the middle off his glove. We are the world champions, the pinnacle of anybody in baseball's career, and surely mine. And I jumped about 10 feet in the air. I think there were, I know there was horses with cops on them all around the stadium. And I think I'm pretty sure I kissed a horse. <laughs> I, I was so happy. It was just, you lose yourself. We'll Jim cut Lee that from the back. final podcast. We, we, we don't need this kind of craziness going out there into the airwaves. <laughs> yeah. Jim Leland was running around the stadium and I followed him, but I'm looking for my son, Tim and Mike, where are they? Where are they? But, but remind me how Back old your boys are. They probably, Tim, uh, Tim was in high school, sophomore, Mike was in college, but they're the bat boys. And miraculously, and I just saw this picture when the book was created. There's a picture of Tim and me meeting between first and second base, and the picture is in the book. And I find Tim. He's screaming and crying. I'm going, what is wrong with you? And he said, Dad, Dad, look. I said, look, what are you talking about? He's crying and his face is beat red. He says, Dad, look at look at the clock. And I looked behind the stadium clock. It was about 12.02 midnight. He says, Dad, the chicken ran at midnight. And I dropped to my knees. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I dropped to my knees. Craig Council, the chicken, scored at midnight, just like Amy said. Uh, the phrase that meant nothing, mm. silly, all of a sudden became the most powerful words I've ever heard in my life. And every ounce of energy, happiness in my body went limp. I felt like you hear when you're little that there's miracles that happen and the Lord touches you or you had, uh, and it just all came in that one moment. And I never believed in miracles really, because I never really saw one. And now I'm in the middle <laughs> of experience, experiencing one. And I'm not sure I, I knew how to handle it. And that's where the chicken, the story of the chicken runs at midnight. Uh, it didn't culminate there because now it's blown up. It's all over the world, but that's where it all started. When you've had 20 years now, Rich, of reflecting on that chicken, making that mad 90 foot dash toward home. And then he himself jumped 20 feet, great console. Uh, as you look back on it and think of those words, the chicken ran at midnight. And the first time you heard your daughter say that, and she passed you a couple love notes uh, before her death, the chicken runs at midnight. And on her gravestone, it says the chicken ran at midnight. Uh, Looking back on it, what does that mean to you today? Like, why, why is this so meaningful to you? I, I truly believe it was all meant, it, it, it was meant to teach. It, it was meant to teach me, first of all, and it was meant for me to, to don't just be what I call average. Don't be average. Be, be exceptional. 
be someone who, as a young child, was a tremendous stutterer for 10 years and couldn't even say hello to anybody. Now, Rich, you have an opportunity to spread this to everybody around the world, not only in sports, not only to parents, not only to fathers, not only to mothers, not only to kids, but to everybody and try to help people. That's what you were put on earth to do. You were put on earth to inspire, to help, to show them about your uh, daughter. And then, of course, in the book, you know about my other two daughters were mm-hmm. at the Las Vegas shooting. They saved a girl's life. My son, Michael, was killed later uh, last year and saved a, a stranger, complete stranger girl. I was pushing a car across the road, threw her out of the way. All this, all this stuff together. The whole story of my life is like I was put here to do something beside catch a ball behind the plate or wave a guy home from third base. I was put here. God put me on earth to do something above and beyond. And I've always felt when I was little, I always felt that way, but I didn't know how to, how to get it out. Yes. Now with this story, I've had people calling me. They want me to speak. They want me to go here. They want me to go there and tell the story and then tell the story about me, the struggles I had. Tell me about my faith growing up. Tell me about uh, my passion. Tell me about how great your mom was, to, to how, how she instilled this in you. Then I, I've been married twice, two of the most wonderful women of my whole life. Uh, Roberta, my second wife, got me back in the baseline with Amy. Amy became my third base coach, and they both waved me back to where I was most happy in my mind and my heart, back to home, where I was when I was a little kid. And... I've had a fascinating life beyond all that stuff. I've been blessed. I've been so blessed. I mean, geez, how many kids want to be in the big leagues and never get the chance? How many kids dream like I do of hitting rocks in an alley on Langley Avenue and pretending that you're in the seventh game of a World Series (laughs) and 25 years later, you are. And you're standing there and you're going, I cannot believe this. <laughs> right. I cannot believe that right. I, I am standing here. I'm coaching in a World Series and then you win the World Series. Everything you've dreamt about, you're getting to do. So I'll make a deal with you, Lord. You've been so blessed to me. Now, what can I do? What can I do for you? What can I do to, to, to say thank you? And the best way I can honor my children who have died to my two daughters who saved the life of a lady in the Las Vegas shooting, the best thing I could do is pass it on to others like you have done. Pass it on. That's our legacy. That's the legacy we have. That's how everybody, everybody I talk to, they end up knowing Amy. They know Tiffany. They know mm-hmm. Leanne. They know Mike. And I tell them the whole story and I want them to know about me to what a stoop I was. And I tell the fathers about, I don't care what job you have. I don't care. I know a lot of people in the world make a lot of money. That doesn't make you a good father. It may make you the president of a corporation or it may make you a third base coach in the big leagues, but it doesn't make you a good person. Mm -hmm. So, and you can do both. You can do both. And I've got so many wonderful examples throughout my life. And I know you don't like to hear it, but you are one. 
you are one of those examples to me. And I draw my strength. People say, where do you draw your strength from? You draw from other people. You you, you don't go to the store right. and say, hey, could you give me a bottle of strength? I need some strength. Oh, physically you can maybe, but you can't get it mentally. You have to get it from other people, what they do. And like I tell somebody all the time, you could talk all you want. Show me. Show me. Well, man, you, my wife, you, you have been shown me. by so many, your older brother, who is a remarkable character within your life and an example to you, your own daughter, your own fight yeah. with cancer that we haven't even yet brought up, Rich. I mean, you have been <laughs> diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer. It's in your rear view mirror now, but it, it was not for a while. So why don't, why don't you uh, talk about the diagnosis and where you drew your strength during that fight? Well, about five years ago, I, uh, my wife, Kit Roberta, she says, you know, you're getting up in ages, you, you should have a colonoscopy. I go, come on, I'm in perfect shape. I'm a world-class racquetball player. I throw batting practice. Uh, there's no one my age can do what I can do, blah, blah, blah. I go and have a colonoscopy, and my, my best friend, who I play, who played football with me in the yard, and that's a story in itself. His name is Dr. Dave Medich. And he was the guy standing next to Woody Hayes when he punched that guy from Clemson. Dave was the captain of a high state football team. Well, he's, he's my surgeon now. He said, Rich, we did a colonoscopy. You have a grapefruit-sized tumor in your stomach that we have to get out within five days. This, this is very dangerous, and it's malignant. So they opened me up, took out the grapefruit-sized tumor. He said, everything's going to be fine. Well, I got it all. And for about six months, I looked like Barney Fife. Uh, I weigh about 200 pounds. I lost 45 pounds. Uh, and I did. I thought, this is it. But I am not going to go woe is me. I'm not going to give up because I had a little 17-year-old girl show me how to handle this. And that's how I got through. I had a 28-year-old brother who died of Hodgkin's disease, who, when I was 14, showed me how to handle this. I had a mom who passed away that showed me how to handle this. I had plenty of examples really, really close to my family. That's where I got my strength from. The Lord blessed me. I've recovered. I'm playing racquetball again. I'm co I coached last year with the Mets. I, uh, I throw batting practice. I'm 72 years old. Uh, I've been blessed so much, but all this is this, all this has done is this. They say, well, you had cancer. I said, thank God I did because it strengthened me. Mm. You, you whispered it, but I'm now I'm going to make you proclaim it a little bit louder. You, you have a son named Michael. Talk about Michael and share with us what happened to him. Yeah. Michael, uh, Mike was named after my, his godfather, who was Mike Hargrove, former manager of the Indians. Uh, I managed Mike. And I loved him and adored him. And I said, if I ever have, if I have a son to have a chance to, I'm going to name him after you. So I did. Mike was our, uh, our third child. And, uh, Mike was the smartest one in the family. Uh, he was, a, he was the most talented one. He's the funniest one, but he was also the most troubled one. He was an artist. He got through high school and college like a breeze. He was a kicker on the college football team, but Mike had problems, uh, ever since high school. He always wanted to be something other than he wasn't. He got involved with drugs, got involved with alcohol. And for about 13 years, he was off the charts, always in trouble, always in jail. So 
serve time. But last year at Christmas, Tim went to visit and he says, Dad, Mike is doing great. He's so respectful to mom. He's helping out mom. He's living with mom, helping her out. Being, he's, I think he's trying to turn the corner. Well, on January 7th, he was driving home one night. And of course, it was at midnight. It had to be at midnight, John. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, he sees a car being pushed across the street, an SUV. So he pulls over. He runs up to the girl and her boyfriend says, what's, what's going on here? Oh, this car was in a wreck. We're trying to help help this guy push it across the road. He goes to push it across the road. Here's a screech of tires, flash of light. Instinctively grabbed the stranger girl, Lindsay Longoria, grabbed her by the collar, threw her out of the way so she wouldn't get hit. And he was hit flush. Mm. The uh, highway patrol tell me at 65 miles an hour. So, and killed instantly. Uh, all the things that Mike did or didn't do in his life were gone. The fact that he saved, he gave up his life to save a stranger's life, told you everything about Mike that was deep in his heart. Uh, hey, Rich, November I'm, the 8th. Uh, yeah, one quick finish way. your thought, please. Uh, yeah, on November the 8th, Lindsay Longoria, the girl he saved, will have a baby boy. Mm. <laughs> his name will be Michael Donnelly Longoria. <laughs> And, uh, I've I've lost a son, but I have I have acquired a grandson. Mm. And Lindsay said she can't wait to tell this boy who he's named after, and what a tremendous tremendous act of courage this stranger did to save her life. Rich, you have endured. Uh, so many storms and you step onto a podcast and out of a dugout and into a grocery store and into life with this big, goofy, third-tiered grin on your face everywhere you go. H- how do you handle the adversity and the struggles and the storms that you have and and then come forward and, and uh, keep keep moving on? Well, my mom always told me when I was little, when things went bad, she goes, this will pass. No matter how bad, this will pass. When I used to get strapped by my dad, she says, this will pass. When I flunked, almost flunked out of college, she says, this will pass. No pun no pun intended. Uh, but she taught me that, uh, yes, I've had a lot of storms in my life, but I've had an awful lot of sunshiny days. And I wouldn't trade anything. The storms have, ta- have taught me this to to enjoy, to use, to not waste any day that I have left on this earth. I said it in an article, I'm 72 years old. I've been blessed. I still say I'm blessed with good health, even though what happened, happened. And I figure, well, the average age is about 80, 82 now for a guy with decent health. I got about 3,000 days left. Let's see what I can do in those 3,000 days that could match halfway what Amy did in her in her nine months of when she knew she was going to die. And if I can do that and do half what she did, uh, I'll feel so good. And that's what I try to do, not waste a day. Try to do something good every day. Try to help every day. Try to go out of the way to help people every day. 
and not be average. I hate I hated that word when I was little, and guess what? I still hate it. Well, brother, you 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 are far far from average. I don't think anybody's ever going to sum you up as saying, you know, that that uh, Rich Donnelly. Uh, one word for him, average. I just think he's an average dude. I don't think anybody has ever put you in that that, that basket. But my, the, only, my, the only way I want to use average in a sentence is I had a low batting average in high school. Well, you, that, you, that, 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 that's all. You shook it off and got drafted by the Yankees <laughs> and then into the Twins. That's a different story. I let people buy the book for that one. You're, uh, I'm curious what your advice is here. You have weathered some storms yourself, and yet I know we, we have a whole lot of listeners tuning in from 50 states and 64 <laughs> countries who are dealing with their own storms today, whether that's financially or relationally or with a child, with an addiction, whatever it may be, what, what would be your encouragement to those of us struggling right now in our own life? Well, I would say this, try to be strong. It's hard. It's, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to do the right thing. Uh, just like in life, it's hard to do the right thing when you're little the temptation. Cause I know what temptation is cause I went the wrong way. Uh, to grind it out every day. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to pray for something to happen. It's going to happen overnight. You're not going to pray to get me out of this financial uh, quandary and hit the lottery the next day. It's going to be a step-by-step, hour-by-hour, day-by-day, just like in baseball, game-by-game, inning-by-inning. It's the same philosophy. And if you can learn from others and tell yourself, I'm not going to be like most people and say, why me? Woe to me. I feel so well. No, you go out, you do the best you possibly can. You work the hardest you possibly can. If you are fortunate enough to have a family and have a wife, be good to one another. Tell your kids, hug them every single day. And if you're, if you have an appointment, if you have a, a, a convention that you are going to go to, and yet your son or daughter is playing softball that night. You know what? With all due respect, if you don't have to go to that convention, the hell with that convention. Go see your daughter and son play. It means the world to them. I did not know that until Amy passed away that she wanted me to come and see her all the time. Even if they stink, just being there means the world to them later on. And and in your wife, do do things for her. Take her to dinner. Be nice to her. Come on, and, and and as a reverse, wives, take, tell your husband you that you love him. I love the tension. I love people to tell me, "Hey, Rich, thank you. Hey, Rich, I love you." Blah blah blah. That means something. And I don't think we do enough of that now. We we're on a highway, and all that our family's on the on the side of the road, and we go right by them. We go right by them and don't even see them. And that's what I did. And that's, I can say, how do you become strong? I, 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 I watch other people. I watch a guy like Ernie Johnson, who has a mentally challenged son that he's raised since he's been three years old and he's 26 now. I get my strength from people like you. I get my strength from people who have had a lot of adversity and how they rise up. I don't know. I says, man, that is unbelievable. And that's where I get my strength from. Then I think back to my kids and I'm going, geez, I got my example right in my own house and I didn't even, I didn't even see it. That's what the sad part is. I didn't even see it. And now, now as the years go on, I'm so proud of my kids. Not that they got an A or they won the cheering competition or they got a double and knocked in two runs. I'm proud of what's inside of them. And my two wives, uh, Roberta, 
what, what she instilled in our daughters to save those girls' life, what, she, what uh, Peggy, my first wife, instilled in Mike to save that guy's life, that girl's life. I've been blessed in so many ways with so many good people around me. Well, man, you you uh, you used the expression earlier that uh, we we are on this super highway and we're flying right past our family and friends and we're not even noticing them. And what I just wanted to acknowledge was you have exited the highway. You are slowly walking down to first base and you are arm in arm with your family and friends and uh, being guided forward and fueled forward by your faith. It's it's an amazing story that you've written in your life to this point. And the exciting thing for the rest of us is it's not over yet, man. Uh, it may be uh, top of the seventh inning or so, but it's not over yet. You, you have a couple more innings to go, and we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of this game. Well, so my, uh, so my John. Each day I wake up, I'm blessed that I wake up, and I say, "Geez, what can I, what can I do today to help in any way, shape, or form? Help somebody out." And that's, and I owe my kids that. I owe my wife's that. I owe, I owe it to them. That's how I can thank them. By by passing it on to someone else, that's how you do it. You don't just say, "Oh, my wife's wonderful," and never. And then you don't take take their qualities, take their examples that they've showed you, and pass it on by your example to someone else. Well, Rich, we we are going to share that example with our listeners today, and uh, all of our podcasts are tied not only with great individuals on your side of the line but also through seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. So I'd like to uh, move our interview to uh, the bottom of the ninth inning with these seven questions. Question number one for Rich Donnelly is, what is the best book that you have ever read? The best book I ever read, and I can't even remember who wrote it, but I, when I was about eight, it was called I Am Third. And I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Yeah. I Am Third means you put the Lord first, your fellow man second, and you third. And in my case, you might put him fifth. <laughs> but but, but uh, when I, that was my most impressionable book growing up. It still is. Uh, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I think just, just passion, more passion for what I do. I was always, I, that's why my mom tied me up to a pole. She goes, you never stood still. And if you take that passion that you had as a kid for being mischievous, or as my mom so graciously said, I was very active. Well, I want to be very active in a different kind of way as an adult. Rich, if you had any more passion for life, I would personally fly up to Steubenville and tie you down. Your, your mother was on the right path there, man. So uh, I cannot, if you're looking for passion today, I, I can't imagine what you were like as a little one. So I, I'd, I'd love a, a rewind of that one. It wasn't pretty. Uh, if you, Rich, if your house caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one item you would grab? My wife. She's already out. So all your, your spouse, your children, your animals, they're safe on the sidewalk. And you now you run in and I, get one thing. I, I, this sounds crazy. I love my dogs. I would probably go for them over an autographed ball of Ty Cobb. Okay. Uh, material things don't mean much to me. Never have. Uh, I got World Series trophies and rings. All that's all that's just. Te- I, I call it temporary wins. That's mm-hmm. what temporary wins. And and uh, I I I just don't put a whole lot of value on on material things because in the end, that's exact, exactly what they are. Materials. Well said. If if you could sit on a bench, overlooking a beach, and have a long conversation with anyone. 
living or dead, who would you like to have that nice long visit with? I like to talk to Jesus. I like to say, say, what was it like for you growing up? Did you have struggles? Did you have temptations? How how did you fight through this? You're the you're you're, you're the the pinnacle of uh, you're the perfect human being. Uh, how did you do that? I love reading about you, but I I want to know more about you. I just like to talk and say, you know, when you're in your teenage years, did you think you were a big shot? <laughs> did you? I mean, just you know, just that would be wonderful because I read about guys who hung with him, yes. and they you know they they weren't really over impressed sometimes with him, and I go. That would be wonderful. What, tell me what the best advice that you've ever received is. Well, the best advice, uh, my dad told me this when I was, uh, I don't know how old I was. And this, he said, this is for later on. He says, if you don't want to get hit by the train, stay off the tracks. And sounds so simple, but in my life, of course, I sat right in the middle of the tracks and I got hit by the train. Well, my friend, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, boy. You got a heck of a life ahead of you, my man. And you better know how to handle this. <laughs> uh, the way I do it now, I have a grandson who's 26. I have two. I have 10. I have 10 grandkids. And I try to talk to them all about the same way that we're talking now. Stay out of trouble. Well, that's fine. But how do you stay out of trouble? Well, you stay away from people that are in trouble. You stay away from places that are always causing trouble. Right. And uh, and as a twenty year old, I my my world at twenty was like, geez, I've never done anything bad in my life. I can't wait to try it. <laughs> so I, can't, I can't wait to go out all night and stay out all night. I can't wait to be unfaithful to my wife. I can't wait to, you know, do whatever. Well, that's what I would tell. I says, hey, watch what's ahead of you. I'm going to tell you what's on this road. You want to be successful and be a good person. I'm going to show you the right way, but I'm going to also show you what's on the what's in the way, and you can't let what's in the way stop you from getting to where you want to get. Well, Rich, that's uh, good advice to hear at any age. And uh, my final question for you today is this one, Rich Donley. It has been said that all great coaches and dads and leaders and people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I just feel like when I, sometime when I go uh, uh, to say I was a I was a good person that that's that that involves in, in, engulfs everything. If you're a good person, everything else you do feeds off of that, and actually be that good person. But to have somebody say Rich was a good person, uh, not not you know he he became a good person. Uh, you know, and he wasn't perfect, but he became a good person. And that's, that, that to me is, a, is the best you can be. Well, Rich Donnelly, you are a good person. You are a good coach. You are a red wagon investor and puller and giver. And we feel extremely fortunate that you shared the story of your sister, your, your daughter, your son, your family, your coaching career, your mistakes, and your redemption with us today. It's, it's been an honor spending some time with you. John, it's been very humbling and an honor to be on your show. Thank you. My friends, that is Rich Donnelly. He is the author of a book called The Chicken Runs at Midnight, A Daughter's Message from Heaven That Changed a Father's Heart and Won a World Series. It's an awesome book, and you'll see some pictures and great stories in there. That is Rich Donnelly. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. 
Live Inspired.